time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. I know this is a really hard time for everyone. We're facing a killer virus, economic pain, and all the frustrations of being cooped up at home. Believe me, I have two teenagers to deal with. But the worst thing we can do is let up now, triggering a second coronavirus wave that causes more death and economic chaos. What you're doing is working. You're saving lives. So let's all hang in there and please stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You too can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome. Good morning. And on the uh, on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome to you, sir. Thank you. Good morning. And last but not least, joining us, uh, and it's always a treat when she's here, East Village Magazine Consulting Editor Jan Worth-Nelson. Hi, Jan. Good morning, Tom, Paul, and Henry. Nice to see you guys, hear you guys. Morning, Jan. Thank you. Well, as you know, we always start out with some quotes, and uh, first up is the finish the quote where I ask you, how would you finish this quote? And it is, when I was a boy, I was told that anyone could become president. I'm beginning to, how would you finish this quote? <laughs> to, to believe it's true. Believe that's true. <laughs> what? You're, bo- you're both right. It's uh, it's actually, when I was a boy, I was told that anybody could become president. I'm beginning to believe it. You know who said that? Uh, oh. It was a comedian, 1935, no. 34. 
Well, no, not, not that. That's actually the the timing's right, Henry. But that was Clarence Darrow. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was, <laughs> which, which I was going to say Will Rogers, but I, yeah, Clarence Will Darrow. Will Rogers, which whatever. Yeah, yeah. But but it's uh, an an interesting uh, lead into this next thing. Uh, one of the quotes of the week, Dad. I don't want to come back to the Capitol. Oh, um, uh, Raskin. Yeah, Raskin. Yeah, 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 exactly. Lead uh, House Impeachment Manager uh, Representative Jamie Raskin yesterday delivered a tearful account of his experience during last month's U.S. Capitol insurrection, charging that the deadly episode cannot be the future of America. Addressing lawmakers during former President Donald Trump's second impeachment trial, Raskin explained that his younger daughter Tabitha and son-in-law Hank um, had accompanied him to uh, Capitol Hill to witness the counting of electoral votes on January 6th. Just a day earlier, Raskin's family had buried his 25-year-old son, Tommy. Raskin recalled that Tabitha and Hank had asked him if it would be safe, and he said he had told them, of course it should be safe, this is the Capitol. The Maryland Democrat then choked up as he talked uh, uh, about being separated from the pair as the pro-Trump mob breached the Capitol complex and spurred hours of chaos. Um, and, and they could have used Clarence Darrow, I think, yesterday. How well did the House impeachment managers make their case for moving forward with Donald Trump's Senate trial? And how did the former president's defense do? I, I thought the, uh, the the folks who wanted to go ahead with the trial did a pretty good job, especially with some of the videos. I was mystified by the first of the uh, the Trump attorneys. It was just kind of a wandering presentation. I uh, I wondered where he was going half the time as I was watching that. And I, as a writing teacher and a, um, a poet, I am mystified why this, I think it was uh, Castor, uh, read that Longfellow poem. And he, it's almost like he had to have, they had dueling tears or something. That Longfellow, <laughs> ridiculous, the, the use of that Longfellow poem. Well, you're talking the, about uh, Bruce Castor, uh, Trump's uh, defense one. lawyer. Right. He was the first one, actually. Um, yeah. So this, the guy who read the Longfellow poem was the second one. Da David Schoen. Yeah, David Schoen, that's right, yeah. Well, you know, what? I was listening to Bruce Castor, and it's funny we opened with that Clarence Darrow <laughs> quote, because I, the whole time he was talking, I wasn't sure if he was, if it hadn't been for the crawl, I wasn't sure if he was for or against. You know, I had the same reaction. I mean, there, there were things he said that could have been used very successfully by the other side. I had the same reaction. It was funny that one of the first things some people said was, and his suit didn't fit. He had an ill-fitting suit. I think that's just a funny reaction. It's like, um, you have to, it reminded me of um, who was the first uh, press secretary uh, for Trump when he got up the first day after the inauguration. and Oh, uh, oh and he has an ill-fitting suit. Spicer. To do with rhetoric and argument, I'm not sure, but it does seem to have an effect on people. Yeah. <laughs> but everybody is fair in love and war. Yeah. Well, we're, 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 I was going to say, weren't these Trump attorneys kind of the third or fourth choice? I mean, the, the earlier batch quit because the Trump wanted to talk about the election, and they felt they couldn't press that issue, so they, they called it quits a, a week or two ago. So these folks were, were pulled in within the last uh, the last minute. Um, 
I'm waiting for Cousin Vinny to show up to defend him next time. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and talk about it, the insurrection was just a bunch of troubled Utes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> There's a new report out, I think, in the Washington Post today that in a study of 120, we're getting ahead of ourselves, I know, but in the 120, 125 of the people who were arrested um, had fin- serious financial problems behind in their background, bankruptcy. Um, they were, they were, they were, they are people that are not being able to participate very positively in the economy today. So I, I found that sort of an interesting set of data, but that we're getting ahead of ourselves, I know. And Henry, what did, what did you think when you saw, did you get a chance to watch and, and see Bruce Castor uh, making the defense for uh, former President Trump? Um, what did you think when you saw him? I know you guys are going to think very badly of me, and you should. But this is so depressing to me. I, I know and, where you're uh, going with this, and I won't hold it against you. And when you can't believe either side, it's, uh, I just have to, you know, there are lies that go into both directions. And yeah. so, I, so I'm going to just let you guys talk about it and let me learn something. <laughs> go I'm ahead, Jim. sorry, because I know that you are a person who cares about evidence, for instance, and... Uh, and uh, decorum, and um, this is just not what we're getting. Well, I mean, we're getting evidence from one side, but uh, what bothers me is that the, the the GOP, Henry, maybe 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 if you're too depressed to talk about it, I I understand it. But no, 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 no. I it, because I could be wrong. I gotta hear. I gotta hear some conversation. Well, <laughs> I you know I I didn't think as as defenses go that opening with, you know, the prosecution did such a great job, we're changing our strategy, is the best way <laughs> yeah. to open. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and to Jan's point about the ill-fitting suit, that's, that's a problem I have with uh, getting this information vi- <laughs> via video. You know, it's so important how things look. And I'm a, I'm a little bit troubled because the, the video that was put together by the, uh, the impeachment uh, advocates was extremely powerful, but it's easy to do that with the way video is edited when you show only the most dramatic mm-hmm. parts of an event. It, it colors your perception of the event in a way that that maybe listing events or charges wouldn't. Um, I, I, I don't know if you know what I mean by that, but I'm always a little suspicious of video evidence. They were no, no to... you're, you're right. I mean, you, you can edit things and make them look more dramatic. I mean, clearly, in terms of just photography in general, you can do that, depending on how you take a picture and how you frame it. You know, pictures, to say pictures don't lie, well, they can, but they can also tell the truth in many ways. In a lot of ways, we look at historical events are defined by visual images. Um, yeah, and I think it's an interesting contrast that a lot of people made yesterday about the first impeachment. That whole Ukraine story, in, in comparison, was so abstract to most of us. This one was deeply visceral, and um, and the visual aspects of it were completely missing from the first impeachment 
process. I mean, this was visceral and personal and intimate in, in, in it, and I think that changes the argument. But what bothers me is it doesn't seem to be having any effect on the well, when you bring the GOP up, senators to, to you, uh, look at it truthfully, Henry, and I, I regret to say. When you bring up uh, you know, first, I, go ahead, Henry. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> you know, I feel just like uh, Congressman's daughter did. Barbara and my kids and I have been to the, the Capitol many, many times. Yeah. We've taken the Mount Vernon Highway out to uh, uh, George Washington's home so any time and tried to visualize what life was like in those days, even if you were a slave or uh, or you were the owner and the people who wrote the Constitution. I used to have a, a, a different perspective of the United States than what I'm seeing now. Uh-huh. And even with slavery and all of the injustice, there was something good about the country. Right. And uh, right now I, uh, I'm disappointed in how people, and the inhumanity that people have for themselves. I, I, I recall reading books about the Romans and the Greeks and how they treated people in their kind of inhumanity um, <clears throat> and how they separated the rich from the poor and uh, the plebes from the statesmen or whatever. Yeah. And then there was the United States that came to, to bring a new government into life that would be based on people's choice it's a grand experiment and, yeah and, and yeah. then now I, I i look at what's happened and the capital doesn't look as good as it did before it doesn't look the same it, i don't have, i don't feel that it's still like a democracy that i grew up to envision now remember my envision would have been clouded a little bit because i didn't have the same choices that everybody else in the country but i still love the country I love mm-hmm. the country worlds, uh, the, the place I was born, and stuff like that. And this is what all Americans feel. And, you well, know, I know. It's always, it's, always fun, uh, it's always been fun when we've taken armchair politics on the road, whether it was to Hell, Michigan, or Frankenmuth, or somewhere else. Um, because you can really see that in Henry, that he just he loves yeah. everywhere we've been. And I hope mm-hmm. we can get back to that soon, Henry. <laughs> okay. What, could you say more about what's the most depressing part of it to you right now? Well, I don't know whether we still have a democracy. I don't, I don't know whether we can ever pull the country back together. We have to completely dissolve ourselves. Because you know, I don't think the two sides right now are willing to uh, merge back together like Germany did when they tore down the wall. I don't think the walls would what do you think of, how does it strike you when you see the, all those, those fences around the Capitol? I mean, just oh, the, that's the, visual, the visual image of that. You know? uh, that's the depressing thing. That's another depressing We used to be able to walk in the stairs and right. wander around and stuff like that. And now you see that the people. This are, isn't South the America, leaders it's are being North America. Separated. The people are being separated from the government. And that's a bad thing. That's a really a bad sign. I didn't even see that in Beijing. We got to take a break there, and uh, and we'll be back. And I, I have another uh, somewhat related quote when we return. If you're listening to us on ninety two point one, we're going to let them squeeze in. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. 
Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives. But we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19, where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe, and save lives. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov slash COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. 
Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll be Tom Summer. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosecki and Henry Hatter, joined by Jan Worth Nelson. Just before the break, we were uh, talking about our uh, quotes of the week, and, um, and of course, the... Uh, impeachment trial that got underway yesterday with the arguments uh, about whether or not it's uh, constitutional according to congress or at least the senate of the united states it is constitutional to go forward with the trial which begins uh, they'll they'll bang the gavel just about the time we're getting off the air today and um I'm not sure that I trust the Senate to interpret the Constitution. <laughs> so, so tomorrow on the on the show we're going to have uh, in the nine o'clock hour, the first hour of the show, we're going to have uh, constitutional law professor Brendan Beery, and we'll get his his take on the constitutionality of impeachment plus some other observations. I'm sure, but I want to continue with a with one more quote that was uh, somewhat related, um, and the quote is. That wasn't Trump people. That's been a hoax from day one. It was all staged. That was Shirky. Yeah, I, yeah didn't Shirky uh, say It was indeed. That was uh, Michigan Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky, the highest-ranking Republican elected official in Michigan. He recently said he believes the January 6th assault on the U.S. Capitol was not carried out by supporters of former President Donald Trump, calling the idea a hoax and stating that the attack was staged. A Shirky spokeswoman did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Representatives for newly elected Michigan Republican Party Chair Ron Weiser and House Speaker Jason Wentworth, Republican from Farwell, also did not immediately respond to questions. Do you think he really believes that? I, I you know, I've heard the same the same idea though from other people that I know personally who are Trump supporters who suggested somehow it was all all a hoax of some kind. I mean, I'm but, not quite sure where they're coming from on that, but I've heard, I've heard the same thing. Oh, in fact, right shortly after the event happened, I, I got some some response to some emails and some comments from people I know who said the same thing. But I, I'm surprised Shirky would do it. Go ahead, Me Henry. Me too. I, again, you know, Henry's here with us. I just do not understand the turning away from evidence and the clinging to what, you know, most of us are calling the big lie. I mean, th- this is what, this is not Henry Hatter. This is not the Republican that I know the Henry Hatter kind of Republican, I, I, I don't get it. It's like they've lost their brains. They've lost their ability to think clearly and, and observe the data. I, uh, Henry, what do you think when you hear a comment like that from a fellow Republican? Well, we have to go back to what we learn, what we've all learned. We've learned when we are in a difficult place, situation, we rationalize. 
We tell only part of the truth. There's the rest of it out there. And the people back home is expecting you to take that kind of a position. So it's a fault within how we think as Americans, the group process. And people are afraid of the group process. And, uh, and part of it's right, but part of it's wrong. Yeah. Uh, it's what I, I you have to do, and, and I've, I've done this for General Motors Corporation, when I've written legal letters about uh, yeah. um, uh, conditions that uh, were binding on us, but yet you had to make explanations as why well, this would never happen again. And so you do a good job of rationalizing there. Otherwise, uh, the regulators would jump completely on you and, and, and uh, pounce on General Go Motors Corporation. We can have that. Go ahead, Paul. I was going to say, I wonder to what degree is it a function of our fragmented media. I mean, I, I recall seeing clips off Fox News going back a, a month or so that suggested that, that was the case. I mean, well, I'm not sure that was their whole, always their take, but I, there were some commentators who suggested that it was a hoax. So I, I suppose people who are tuning into Fox News or similar outlets are, are picking those kind of things up. Because uh, yeah. I've, I've heard that comment uh, from, from a few others in the last month. What I don't know which bothers me more, the possibility that Mike Shirky actually believes what he said or that he doesn't and said it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, did he, he, did he say uh, it to, to, to a Republican uh, party down in Hill, uh, Hillsdale County? I, I think you're right about yeah, that. Yeah, Hillsdale County. It may have been kind of a cheering section for him. I assume it was a very strong Republican group. Maybe he was just feeding into the audience, but still... Yeah, I mean, the the video I saw last night, I think it was on the Rachel Maddow show, it was a video clip. He was sitting in a diner. He was just sitting in a diner with a couple of friends, undefended, um, mm. which made me think that's what he really believes. Well, uh, again, he has a constituency that he has to answer to, and the constituency has a lot of influence on him, like constituents we, we all have. Well, so there's a lot of uh, impression that I get from the Republican Party. So we don't pick and, on. You know, I gotta meet them halfway. So we but, don't pick on Republicans too much. I want to move to a, a story that's local. City Councilman Maurice Davis says someone is threatening his life, and Flint's police chief and mayor say the threats are being investigated. Speaking at the city council meeting Monday. Davis, a first-term councilman representing Flint's second ward, said he received repeated phone calls from a man telling him in a calm voice that he's going to take my life and that Davis has only a few days to live. Davis said he began to receive calls the day after a special city council meeting that was called Tuesday, February 2nd to discuss public safety. The calls have continued since, most recently taking place uh, Sunday. I put it on 911 because I'm going to kill him dead if I catch him, said Davis, who reminded fellow council members and the public, I always carry a gun everywhere I go. Is you're not going to kill me, I'm going to kill you an appropriate response for a member of the city council? No. <laughs> Never. I didn't Sounds think so like either, and I and I sound like Dodge City, Kansas. <laughs> and I know, and and yeah. I like Maurice. You might Davis. kill the right. You might kill the wrong person. <laughs> you don't know who it is. I've always uh, been kind of a Maurice Davis uh, fan, but I was I was really disappointed in in those comments. Yeah, I, I, I maybe you should stick with the music. <laughs> 
That's what I think. I mean, he doesn't have to make the blues. He can just yeah. play the blues. <laughs> That's right. That's well, right. you know what B.B. Yeah. B. King said about the blues, and I just absolutely love this quote. He said, the blues isn't about feeling bad. It's about feeling better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so this guy was, he, he said in some of the stories that the comments were of a political nature, right? Everything out of his mouth is political, he said, and when he was talking about it, Maurice Davis said. And the, and the, and the, and the knucklehead called into his show, right? Yeah. Threatened, threatened him on the air. Yeah, on the air. He has been <laughs> taken into custody, I see. Somebody has been. Well, that's that's oh. that's what uh, <laughs> that's that's what these uh, insurrectionists do. They you know they post it on Facebook. But this well, guy was be a Democratic type. I mean, was this guy talking to him about? Supporting Trump or something? Uh, it may yeah, have, I wasn't it may clear what motive was it a city council issue or was it the Trump issue or something entirely unrelated? I wasn't quite clear about that. Yeah, well, you, it's it's you, hard you to got, say. You got enemies on both in both of those yeah. groups. Well, and that's that's why I wanted to shift the direction a little bit because it isn't just Republicans saying, you know, trying to downplay the insurrection on January sixth. There's there's Democrats stirring things up, too. Councilman Santino Guerra, who represents the city of Flint's third ward, has announced that he will not seek re-election to the city council this fall. Mr. Guerra urges residents who have an interest in improving the city and in local government to pick up petitions to run for his seat, he said. In accordance with the newly adopted Flint City Charter, candidates for this position are required to be a registered elector of the city and a resident of the third ward for one year prior to the filing deadline of Tuesday, April 20th this year, no later than 4 p.m. The city council primary uh, election will be held on Tuesday, August 3rd, with the top two contenders from each ward facing each other in the general election to be held on November 2nd. Do you think Santino's done with politics, or does he have his eye on something else? Oh, no, I think I think he's got a future, and I, th I think maybe that's why he's getting so out of the city council. Uh, if, yeah. you know, hanging around the city council could tarnish his reputation a bit. If he I agree. So, so I know I think he's got a real future. I, uh, by the way, as an aside, I noticed today on Facebook, today is Santino's birthday. Uh, I believe I saw that. Story. Yeah, it is. Happy birthday. It is. Happy birthday, yeah. Santino. He, he's he's yeah. listening. Happy birthday. And Santino. good luck with whatever you do. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> and it, besides, it'll be something. Uh, Santino, uh, um, Santino, being Hispanic, has a great future ahead of him. Uh, as you know, uh, Hispanics are the second largest uh, segment of the American population, and they are wielding a lot of power and influence throughout the United States. And there are a lot of places that he can go with this tremendous body of, of supporters around the country because he's, he's demonstrated his ability to... <clears throat> understand issues and to work with people and stuff like that. Well, was, was he many, the youngest member of the city council ever? He, he was 19 yes, when he got he elected. Was. Yeah, he was. He was, he, he was the yeah. youngest ever. Hmm. He's, anybody he's wanna, a student at U of M. Anybody want to hear some good news? Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, according to Flint Beat, the Flint City Council unanimously voted to spend two days getting trained in appropriate behavior during council <laughs> meetings. <laughs> 
As proposed by Council President Kate Fields, council members will meet uh, February 15th and March 1st in public meetings to get trained in decorum in debate and dilatory or disruptive motions and appeals. Council meetings have uh, been known, as, as you all know, to go on for seven or eight hours and often get feisty. <laughs> Frequently, members complain about each other, name-calling, bullying, making personal attacks, being disrespectful, and not understanding the rules. Um, I, I, I don't think it can hurt. No, not at all, although How I wonder... This, go ahead. How would this be binding on an individual? Um, this is all voluntary. Well, it presupposes uh, that people can learn. Yeah, I, I hope so. Because <laughs> I, 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 I hope it, I hope it takes. I, rec I recall a few years back, I was part of a group that we, where the, a previous city council was going through a similar training session, and a number of us gave a presentation. And, and when we thought they were disruptive then, and that was that seems so much more mild than it is today. So let's hope it takes. I don't know. But, They've, they've done this before. Well, how does Miles Davis now, how does he uh, respond to this? Oh, Maurice Davis? Oh, got, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> he's got a guy out there with a gun. <laughs> <laughs> and he may yeah, be you, sitting in the chambers. Yeah. Uh, you know, true. I was going to say, no wonder Santino Guerra, Santino Guerra wants to get out of there. <laughs> right, uh, I, I don't blame him. Who, who uh, would want to be, who would want to do that? And it seems like the only people that want to do it are the people that have some kind of, yeah. uh, they didn't learn from their mommy or kindergarten or whatever how to behave. It's, uh, I, I, I... Well, and, and there was... For, frankly, I, I often wonder how they you survive those 8, 10, 12-hour meetings with any regularity. I mean, by the time you're done, what do you accomplish? I know. You know? Oh. Yeah, I think only... some people will vote yes or no just to get out of there. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and then they're not serving their constituency. You know, there's a process, a smooth process that works, and I've seen it work. It worked at Kyle schools. It was, you had to have the right combination of people on sitting at the table. If you do not, it will never work. I have to share and with people, you Flint Beat's uh, headline for that story. <laughs> Oh, happy days, <laughs> Flint City Council, <laughs> to receive training on how to behave in meetings. Oh, oh good grief. <laughs> I think that might be a little over the top. but Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and most people have never been able to have learned how to work in a group process. You, you can't have everything the way you want it. And you gotta, you got to accept what you can meet out of the process it's a process you got to be top and as educated and prepared as you can and give it your best go ahead you know, I'm, analysis i'm still fulminating a little bit henry on your comments about democracy earlier in the first segment and the mournfulness the mournfulness of that and the mournfulness for me is is also reflected at the local level that how can you have a democracy that's based you know with the people being represented at the grassroots and nobody seems to know or want to know or want to behave well use their noggin to think through things and just rely on shouting and screaming and name calling it it's extremely depressing at the local level too i think 
You know, yeah. the thing is, I think bad behavior encourages more bad behavior. When one person starts screaming, and before you know it, everybody else joins in. So I think it feeds upon itself after a while. And I think that's been the case for the Flint City Council. There's, well, there's a number but then, of folks there but, who are pretty decent people, but once they get pulled into that maelstrom of, of yelling and screaming and all that, it, it, it feeds, again, it feeds on itself. But we're seeing it in Washington. Um, yeah. I, you know, yeah. I... I have to say, I I was uh, a little disappointed in uh, the Democrats voting to remove um, Green from her committees. I, I I felt like they abused their majority. You know, it's it's up to Green's party to address or not address any perceived infractions or or misbehavior. But Tom, that was a pre. Those are pretty egregious things she said. She. I she agree. I agree. I just think that that. That's hitting Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, I'd make a distinction in two things. On one hand, she's got the right to to talk about Jewish space aliens starting forest fires, but when you start threatening the lives of your colleagues, that strikes me as a kind of a different category of speech. Well, and um, and you know, I ha- I have to agree, but I'm I'm talking about just. That it should have been Republicans to address yeah, the yeah, issue. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying and, there. And, and the other side of, of that whole business that week was the way the Republican Party has treated Liz Cheney, especially back home in Wyoming. I think that's going to come yeah. up a little bit later. But when you think about it, we've got this going on in Washington, but then we've got Mike Shirky in Lansing saying the things that, that he has said. Uh-huh. And then and then we've got a city council member who's threatening to kill somebody back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really, it's so depressing. I'm, I'm, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just underscoring what you said, uh, Jan, in that... You know, it isn't, we're not just shaking our heads at Congress, it's everywhere we turn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know, it's, yeah. Well, I'm going to try and see if this is some good news. Um, a federal court judge has ordered a Flint attorney to stop sharing misinformation about a proposed $641 million settlement of uh, Flint water crisis civil lawsuits and says all 200-plus people he contacted by mail must be told the information they received was misleading. U.S. District Court Judge Judith Levy made her ruling after an hour-long hearing with attorney uh, Loist Fletcher on Friday after other attorneys involved in the settlement requested a temporary restraining order and asked the court to forbid Fletcher from communicating with residents who are already represented by other attorneys in the settlement. Levy did not issue the restraining order but enjoined Fletcher from future contact with residents that is incorrect, misleading, or improper and required Fletcher to provide her with a list of any residents who signed a retainer with his office as a result of this misinformation and improper communication. Is there any any hope that this will put an end to attorneys spreading misinformation? Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> in a single word, <laughs> probably not. I... Uh... And again, unfortunately, it really adds to all the distrust and confusion and turmoil about the Flint water crisis. I mean, it it looked like we were sort of coming to a conclusion of one kind or another, for better or worse, 
with both the civil settlement and the, the criminal prosecutions. And these kind of things just typify the, as I say, the, the distrust that's been going through the whole system revolving around the Flint water crisis. Well, and, and it's the distrust, you know, when we talk about distrust, sometimes we talk about distrust as if it's a negative, but, you know, when you've got public officials behaving the way they're behaving, yeah, the yeah. distrust is justified. True, yeah. And I, I think it's interesting that people are being called on misinformation. And I hope it happens with media, too. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, isn't it interesting that it seems like what's going to affect Fox News' uh, misinformation more than any moral argument uh, seems to be, uh, the, you know, the uh, Smartmatic and so on filing these lawsuits. Is that, if that's what it takes, you know, you finally have to hit them in the pocket because there's no moral impulse to tell the truth otherwise. They finally have to get them with, through their pocketbook. It's like, well, if that works, that works. And you know, it's it's a we're in a grim, we are in some grim times when it comes to misinformation. That's true. You know, I think yeah. social media is part of the problem. Oh, I, I agree. agree. Everybody yeah. has become the fragmented media, both social and yeah, that's true. Notice how everybody has become an authority with the Constitution. Yeah. Every person from <laughs> Timbuktu who's never gone, only gone to reform school or didn't go to school at all, that person is now an authority, and he can speak with certainty on social media. And people who ray him, uh, you know, or her, whatever the situation, we don't have a voice of authority anymore. And, you know, you, human beings require that. Certain animals require a voice of authority to bring order and certainty to how they will live yeah. or govern themselves. But well, somehow America, human beings have lost that, and they've only become predators and brave. Well, I've, I've, I've said it before, but I'll, I'll go ahead and share it again, that I think the, uh, the two documents in human history that are the most maligned and abused are the U.S. Constitution and the Holy Bible. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It was interesting to see that um, this lawyer from East Lansing uh, got quoted on several of the shows last night, the one that uh, that the um, Trump defense lawyers were quoting from, and now he's saying, oh, no, they're, they're, they're misunderstanding my argument. He, he, you know, he, even when they tried to use a, a, a constitutional scholar on their side, they got it wrong even. They even got it wrong there. Did you guys see that, this guy from... I, I did. I, I don't remember all the, the details, but I, but I did see that. So even, so even there, they were trying to use the Constitution for their side, but they got it wrong. Mm-hmm. Well. Yeah. Well, we have a break. And, and you know, uh, the, the justification for people being uh, authorities on the Constitution comes from the fact that they are individuals. They have rights under the Constitution. They can say this, and they can do that. And, you know, and without some certainty, we used to have the Bible as a source of authority, and then we had people when the country was smaller. Uh, there were people who were authorities within the community, like your doctors and your bankers and your lawyers and stuff like that. 
And there were some um, uh, abuses in those cases, but nevertheless, the, the communities held together. But now mm-hmm. we seem to have a chaos. Yeah, well, I, mean, I think it would be better if people used their expertise for the public good. And that yeah. isn't always what's going on, Henry, unfortunately. Yeah. We have to take a short break here, but we'll be back with more Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program after we let our broadcast partners squeeze in a few words or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. If you are sick with COVID-19 or think you might have it, take steps to help protect other people from getting sick. Stay home except to get medical care. Call the doctor before visiting. Separate yourself from others who live with you. Wear a mask to protect others. Cover your coughs and sneezes with a tissue and clean your hands right away. Avoid sharing items with other people in your home. This includes things like towels and bedding. Be sure dishes are washed in hot water or the dishwasher before anyone else uses them. Stay aware of how you feel. If you start to have difficulty breathing or if you are worried about your health, call your doctor. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque riverway. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources.
The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. The Tom Sumner program.com. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner program with Paul Rosicki, Henry Hatter, and Jan Worth Nelson. Uh, let's see, let's move over to Lansing now. Senate Republicans have a plan for how to use billions in federal funds allocated to Michigan to fight off COVID-19 and help businesses, schools, families, and workers survive the pandemic. But the plan is different than a proposal offered by Governor Gretchen Whitmer and one already approved by the GOP-controlled House of Representatives. With three plans now publicly released and no hint of the compromise necessary to actually distribute this money, those who need this funding to stay in their homes, keep food on the table, and inject vaccines into more arms may need to wait a while. How long should people be expected to wait for Lansing gamesmanship to play out? I don't know, but it's frustrating because, uh, you know, the strange fact is they have have been able in the past with, with Whitmer and the legislature, they have been occasionally been able to come together on budgetary issues. But, uh, it seems now like the, the the partisan division is as wide as ever. Yeah. Uh, do you have any you more know. good news for us, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else carrying guns to city council meetings? Well, like pro- that? probably probably not till we get to the X Files. But uh. well, you know, I I really think the key is that the governor. And uh, the Republican Party have to work together. That's the only way it's going to work, guys. And, and somebody has to take the first step. Yeah, who goes uh, first? It has to be Governor Whitmer or one of the Republicans. People out there that are hurting, and nobody seems to know what to do. Yeah. Uh, even if it means a, you sacrifice your future career, but to do the right thing, your people will always remember and you will be rewarded for it to do the right thing, and and neither, and we've had nobody stepping forward to make that first step. That's what we got to do to relieve people from the suffering that they are enduring right now. If that's our job, yeah. You know, Henry, I'm I'm not very very inclined to quote uh, Ronald Reagan very often, but there's a good quote here that he say, used to say that you can get a lot done if you don't care who gets credit for it. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that quote. Now, see, I don't think there's anything wrong with quoting Ronald Reagan because he had I some buttes. <laughs> you don't have to agree with all of his politics, but it's That's hard. True. But it's hard to, to fire arrows at his communication skills. Yeah, right. 
Yeah. And, well, and the, uh, there are often times that I go back and, and I quote uh, Kennedy because... For the same uh, reason. Within the, within the next generation, we will have men on the moon and back. You know, uh, there's just things that were just... You can't deny that this man had his eyes on the prize. And there and, were times that uh, Johnson did as well. And, it, and it's funny that we mention those two, a Republican and a Democrat, for not only their, their witty communication skills, but their optimism. Right. This is That's a dark right now. Yeah, it was... I, I want to see Reagan's shining, you know, city I on the hill. Instead of American carnage. I, I like yeah, that. Yeah. I, I like that John Kennedy felt that that if inspired, we could accomplish anything. Right. Well, you know that set the country off in a new direction. <clears throat> it couldn't be stopped, and you just saw repetitious inventions and engagement and accomplishments over the next thirty to forty years from that one uh, speech from him at. University of Texas, one of those, it was in Texas anyway, where he made the statement. And that inspired Americans to do their best. Well, for the second time, the Republican majority in the Michigan <laughs> Senate rejected several of Governor Gretchen Whitmer's appointees to state boards, the latest front in an ongoing political battle about executive power. The GOP leaders acknowledged during Wednesday's floor session their arguments are not with the qualifications of those appointed, but with the governor and how she is choosing to fight the COVID-19 pandemic. Democrats, of course, blasted the move, pointing out the decisions are political and arguing they will only hurt residents who benefit from boards that are not fully staffed. Last week, lawmakers rejected 13 appointees. The appointments voted down on Wednesday were primarily for university boards. And I think the Democrats are probably stretching it a little when they say that that's, you know, going to hurt Michigan families, that, you know, that these uh, university boards aren't fully staffed. But <laughs> should appointee rejections be required to be for qualification deficiencies? Well, mm. ideally, but how do you enforce that? I wonder. I don't know. Yeah, you know, it should be. Yeah, well, it, it would help be. if, if yeah. um, you know, Republicans weren't comfortable in Lansing saying, "Oh, well, we didn't do it because they're not qualified. We did it because right. we don't like what the governor's doing about COVID nineteen. Right. Yeah, mm. I, I, do, I think I that's do, a right. serious misstep. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, qualification seems like the the safest kind of approach. It makes sense, uh, but right. there has been a whole mm. move against expertise. Uh, just, I I think one of the things that I find reassuring about the Biden era is they're bringing experts back into government at, at, at the D.C. level, um, and yeah. Yeah. it's refreshing. Uh, right. But then, how you how do you define an expert? You know, you can always go into that whole area. Um, but I, I think when you see this kind of gamesmanship like that, it makes people cynical of all government, and and I think it's some of that cynicism that feeds into the the Trump movement in many ways. That people just kind of throw up their hands and say, you know, 
a plague on both our houses when you when you see that happening. Well, the city of Flint at least is going to try to get uh, the, you know the Flint City Council is at least going to try and get some some tutelage about how to behave better. <laughs> now, if we could just figure out a way to extend that to Lansing and Washington, true, we might. I I I also appreciated. Um, sort of Biden's hands-off thing about the impeachment. I agree. Ways. I that's agree. Wise. That's a good move. Very wise. You know, yeah, that was good. His job is to govern, and how refreshing is it to hear that? It would be nice if that, you know, if that comes through in his actions, um, I think we're all better off. It reminds, yeah. reminds me a little bit of uh, something uh, JFK said once in a press conference, when, and, and Paul, you're going to be familiar with this, I know, because we both have the, the same videotape of... Uh, this particular comment, but um, he was uh, asked how he felt about term limits for Congress, and he <laughs> he he said he thought it was an idea he could advance in a post presidential period. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh. Well, let's see. I think we got time for this one. Michigan Republican delegates elected Ron Weiser for a third stint as uh, state party chairman Saturday after one of the party's most bitterly fought elections ever. Weiser and his co-chair Michonne Maddock defeated Laura Cox and her co-chair Terry Bowman, getting about 66% of the vote, the party said in a news release two days before the convention, which was held online. Cox of Wayne County accused Weiser of orchestrating a sleazy payoff with party funds and urged delegates to re-elect her only until someone she considers a more suitable successor can be selected. Weiser accused Cox of trying to falsely smear him in a desperate attempt to hold on to her job. I've seen more about those uh, charges since uh, mm -hmm. since I collected this story, but... Uh, they were both supporters of former President Trump. Wouldn't you expect this kind of bitterness to come from different factions of the party? Yeah, at first that's what I thought of yeah, was a pro and yeah. anti-Trump kind of struggle, but it appears to be somewhat more than that. Do you have any? Do you have any other insights on that, Henry, from your experience? Well, it was unfortunate because the party was trying to recover from it losses and stuff like that and when people lose um and your money is diminished you don't have the authority and the power and the inspiration to rebuild and so i think uh, ron weiser was a good choice here because he knows how to raise money for the party and that was one of them and it was unfortunate that the uh, current chair uh, had some difficulty and i don't understand why the difficulty arose I was not part of it, and I didn't pay too much attention to that because uh, Miss Romney had moved, uh, McDaniels had moved uh, to Washington, and I support uh, McDaniels from that perspective. But what went on in the state was something that was, uh, it didn't come up until the last moment, and everybody didn't know about this mm. and how much yeah. veracity you get to it. I don't know, um, so because people have different versions of what's going on and how legal it is. And you must how find much that depressing. Yeah. So I. I, I didn't Weiser resign from the Eastern Michigan board in the middle of all this business? I thought I heard that I, as well. 
he resigned and uh, quit the DMU board. Um, no, um, no, that was that yeah. was uh, uh, Richard Baird. Oh, okay. Rich Baird? okay. A Rich Baird, the Godfather of Flint. Yeah. Huh. Because of okay, the no. uh, because of the new charges against him. All right, maybe I had the wrong name there. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Huh. Anyway, uh, we've got to take a uh, break here at the top of the hour uh, for uh, show ID, etc. And then uh, we'll be back with the second half of Armchair Politics with uh, our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki on the left, Henry Hatter on the right, and they are joined by East Village Magazine Consulting Editor Jan Worth-Nelson. So don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse. We will be right back. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 